Welcome to Straight Edge, the podcast. My name is Clive Allwright, and along with my amazing guests and co-hosts, we're going to be having some brutally honest and sometimes confronting conversations around all things of addictive behavior. Now, as it happens, I've been a hairdresser for 37 years, and during my career, I've met many people just like me that have also struggled in the many different areas of addiction. So our main focus of this podcast is to chat with as many people as possible from the hairdressing, barbering, and media industries, along with some pretty smart people that work in the fields of addiction to get a deeper understanding of why so many of us struggle with the balance of family, careers, health, and the day-to-day pressures of life. So if this sounds like an area you'd like to dive deeper into, make a cup of tea, sit back, and listen to Straight Edge, the podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Straight Edge, the podcast. We are back online this week. I'm joined by my co-host with the mostest, Amy. How are you, Amy, this morning? Hello. Very good, the, very good. I usually say the mostest Yorkshire accent that I've heard, but anyway, uh, but I'm super excited <laughs> this morning because um, we have Sarah Rusbatch joining us all the way from Perth this morning, and I was just explaining before we came live that I've got a little bit of, I'm a bit starstruck because I first heard Sarah speak on Sober Dave's podcast in May, and I really resonated with your story. I've just been, I've been stalking you ever since and following yeah. this bits and pieces. <laughs> So I am the weirdo that you've uh, that you've probably seen up on your uh, socials, but you are a health <laughs> practitioner, also a grey area uh, drink specialist, and you've just written a book called Beyond Booze. Now, I guess what I'd like to do, because I've heard your story on, on Sober Dave, um, and if we can delve a bit into that, but I really would love people to go and listen to that on Sober Dave's podcast, because since then, I'm, you've been doing so much other stuff, which really... I think it's amazing. So thank you for coming and talking to us today. Thank you for having me. And please don't be starstruck. I am really <laughs> not worthy of being starstruck. <laughs> so please, um, I am just a normal girl from Manchester sharing my story <laughs> and trying to inspire others along the way. Oh, no, we've got another I, northern girl in the house. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and as I was saying, my business partner in the salon we have in Sydney actually lives in Perth. She's from Rochdale. And she's been to a couple of your events as well. And um, it's weird, like listening to your story on Sober Dave when I'm walking to work and just, you know, seeing you, seeing you on the screen here and, and knowing that you've, you've got such an amazing story. And I, I don't think yeah. you're getting it into an hour. So you tell us what, let's just hand it over to you. What would you like to talk about this morning? <laughs> so I think it, it's useful for your listeners if I do share a bit of my story, but I think it might be good, first of all, because people are kind of probably going, what's a grey area drinking coach? What does that even mean? And so maybe I can start by explaining that and then go into my story because they're kind of interlinked. I was a grey area drinker, so I didn't define myself as an alcoholic. And because of that, and because we live in a society that talks about you're either an alcoholic or you're not, And because I didn't think I was an alcoholic, I didn't get help or reach out for help or consider that my drinking was a problem for a really, really long time. So if we think about grey area drinking, I consider it to be like um, not someone who's a take it or leave it drinker. So I've got a friend who will have, if there's a cider going, she'll have a glass of cider, but she doesn't care if there's no cider there. And she's just happy to be the driver for the night. It's like, yeah, I'll take it or leave it. I was never like that. It was kind of like, 
well, if I can't drink, there's no point going. Like I went to every event with the intention of being the party girl, the drinker. I wasn't leaving till I couldn't remember how I got home. And that was kind of like my life. Um, and so a take it or leave it drinker, someone who doesn't drink might be one end of the scale and someone with full on dependency on alcohol might be the other end of the scale. So someone who, who we would call an alcoholic, even though in, in medical terms now we don't use the term alcoholic, but what we would define, I mean, I'm showing my age now, I think about Sue Ellen and Dallas and, um, and Anne Ginny Stenders married to Dirty Den behind the, um, yeah. <laughs> in the Queen thing, <laughs> like sculling bottles of vodka behind the bar. Like, um, yeah. you know, we think about what an alcoholic is and it's generally someone who drinks in the morning. It's someone who has trembling hands oh. and needs to have a drink and can't get through a day without alcohol. And gray area drinkers sit in the middle of that so if we had a scale of one to ten i'm being someone who doesn't drink at all maybe has a glass of champagne at a wedding and ten being someone who has physical dependency on alcohol and needs to have medical support to withdraw from alcohol because we have to be really clear here in understanding that alcohol is one of only three substances that the human body can die from withdrawal from mm. the two others one's illegal and one you can only get on prescription from your doctor and yet alcohol was listed as an essential service during lockdown which kind of shows the world wow. that we live in right isn't that crazy it's so yeah. crazy when you think about it like that you know exactly exactly so i think if we've got a one and a ten on the scale to me gray area drinking is about a four to an eight on that scale so we've passed mm. the point of being a take it or leave it drinker We've passed the point of being someone that enjoys a few wines on a night out, but doesn't think about alcohol any other time and wouldn't drink perhaps on their own or wouldn't drink, mm. wouldn't be, they wouldn't turn to alcohol the first time they had any kind of adversity, you know, like this is when we know we're starting to get into that gray area. Because if the first thing you think about when you have a stressful day, you have an argument with your partner, your kids are driving you mad, you're angry, you're disappointed, you're sad, you're lonely. If the first thing you do is go, I've got to have a drink, then we're probably moving into that gray area. And some of the other signs of gray area drinking might be we have rules around our drinking and then we always break them. So I had constant rules, which were, I don't drink Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't drink before five o'clock. I don't drink white wine on an empty stomach. I don't drink at lunchtime unless it's the weekend and I'm out with girlfriends. Um, I can't, I'm not allowed to drink three days in a row. Like I constantly had these rules, but I always broke them. I always mm. had a justification as to, oh, I know I said I wouldn't drink on a Tuesday, but I'm out and I could kind of have a drink. So I won't drink on Thursday. So maybe I could just have that drink tonight. Like there was this constant chatter in my head around justifying why it was okay for me to have a drink. And I thought that was normal. I thought everyone was like that. But going back to my friend who can have her glass of cider and take it or leave it, she kind of looked at me like I was from another planet. Yeah. And I said to her, but don't you have these conversations in your head? And she was like, mm. what are you talking about? Um, and that was kind of, so those are some of the signs of gray area drinking. Maybe we always... Mm. We always have more than we intend to. Oh, I'm just going to have one or two tonight. I'm not going to have any more. And then nah, finish the bottle, open the second, have to get an Uber home, have to leave the car there, have to wake up in the morning and work out how you're going to get the car back so you can get the kids to morning sport. And, and just you, yeah. you're constantly kind of playing catch up with yourself because of these, these rules that you're making and breaking. And people that don't have a problem with alcohol, they just don't 
think about alcohol in the way that I was always thinking about it, justifying it, looking forward to it. And what started to happen for me was there was this gradual narrowing of things that I found pleasure from. And in the end, it became looking forward to going out and getting pissed was kind of all that I looked forward to doing. Anything that didn't involve alcohol just felt like it wasn't even worth joining in. That Mm. felt like a punishment. That felt like something that was a bit like, meh, yeah. And it was okay if I was getting over the night before's drinking, then that was kind of, you know, just what you got through. But but looking forward to the things that I wanted to do, everything went hand in hand with alcohol, whether it was holidays, nights out, um, even, you know, kids' birthday parties, like all of those things, there would always be, oh, I've got to get my champagne in the fridge so it's chilling for when I go to, you know, this this type of thing. And everything for me started revolving around looking forward to drinking. Mm. Yeah. So maybe that yeah. gives a wee bit of context around grey area drinking. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's interesting because I remember Pete Lorimer that was on one of our previous episodes. I remember him first saying to me many years ago, he said, Clive, can you just go out for a glass of wine? And I actually, I looked him in the eye and I said, yeah, of course I can. And he said, well, <laughs> well I, I can't. But what I was actually playing in my mind was if I'm really, really hung over and I'm buckled and I've got the worst hangover, I will go out and I'll have a sip of wine and I'll put it away. But that was in my mind. I'm like, that's that's as I'm not as bad and I saw something on your social media recently and and the first question people ask you was well how much were you drinking because then they compare well I'm not drinking as much as her do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah it's a really interesting point because most people when they know that I stopped drinking and I'll come on to my story in a minute they say to me how much were you drinking because everyone Mm. this is human nature right if I sit there and go I was drinking three bottles of wine a night and you go oh god I only drink two I'm fine then I don't have to stop right and this is how human nature is but it's not about a number and this Mm. is what I'm so passionate about sharing is it's not about a number it's about a feeling and if you are noticing that alcohol is making you feel in a way that you don't want to feel most of the time, if it's robbing you of your sleep, of your energy, if it's causing anxiety, if you are not showing up as the person you want to be, you know, if if you're noticing that you've passed that tipping point and alcohol is taking more than it's giving, you have full permission to question your relationship with alcohol. You do not have to be an alcoholic to decide, okay, I want to, I want to make some changes here. And, And we live in a society where people think the only people that don't drink are those that are alcoholics. Whereas I'm really passionate about changing that conversation and changing that dialogue. Yeah. And and it, I think it's so important, um, you know, f- well, I was going to say for our generation, for all generations, you know, to uh, especially, I guess, the younger ones that are coming up, like my children, to know that, I guess, we were brought up in the era where that was normal, right? And And yes, things have slightly changed, but alcohol is so ingrained in our society to, as you said, to uh, have fun, to celebrate, to, you know, whatever it is, the event. And it keeps us in that place where we feel that we can't enjoy those things if we don't drink. Um, And I look at my daughter now and I was looking at her the other day and I thought she has so much fun in her life, right? So much fun. She hasn't obviously touched any alcohol. She's only 12. And, you know, and I think 
I want her to contain that feeling and to know that you can continue your life without having to introduce alcohol even, you know? And I guess, you know, I I feel a lot of that conversation from, you know, your socials and all the work that you do. Um, I've, I've followed you right from probably like at least halfway through last year. So a year and a half maybe. Um, and seeing how the community's grown, you know, the women that are in that group are very supportive of each other. It's such an incredible group that you've created there. Um, how do you feel about that when you see that now? If you think about Sarah as you were and now where you are, like, how do you feel about that journey? I have so much gratitude for the Sarah that made the decision to stop drinking and so much admiration because it is not easy to make the decision to remove alcohol in a society, in a world that tells you that you need alcohol everywhere you turn. You know, I've done mm. half marathons where I've been given a glass of champagne at the end. I've done yoga classes <laughs> with the end with a glass of wine. I've gone to first birthday parties at 10 in the morning where I've been given a glass of champagne when I walked through the door. Like, alcohol is everywhere. So I have so much gratitude. Um, and I have a, a level of pride. I'm not very good at stopping and reflecting on what I have achieved because for me there's so much more to do like it's just there's so much that I want to do because I've seen the power of the work and I've seen how I the work I do can not just change the lives of the women I work with but it changes the lives of their families as well like I got a letter from one of my client's sons he's 13 and he wrote me a letter and he said dear Sarah thank you for giving me my mum back Whoa! So nice, my goodness! And so it's not just the work that I do with the women I work with; it's Mm. how it impacts their families as well. Yeah, amazing. Sarah, I often hear you say alcohol is the only drug that we have to justify for not taking. Um, I hear you you mention that a lot. Can you can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. So we live in a society where it feels like there are certain drugs or addictions that are acceptable and others that are not so it's acceptable to say you're addicted to caffeine it's acceptable to say you're addicted to your phone it's acceptable to say you're addicted to shopping and offer some retail therapy it's acceptable to say um even oh i've got such a sugar addiction i've got such a sweet tooth i can't stop eating sugar but the Mm. minute you would be to say i'm addicted to alcohol the shame Mm. and the judgment that comes with that and yet alcohol in 2019 the lancet wrote an article that puts alcohol in the, exactly the same carcinogenic category as tobacco so it has the same health wow. risks and um <laughs> cancer risks as tobacco and yet you say to someone you've stopped smoking and they'll say good on you well done and you say you yeah. stopped drinking and they'll say don't be so boring just have one yep yeah yeah there are some people out there and I, I've been around them too, who just simply can't accept that you don't even want one drink. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, no, I don't, I'm I'm, I'm not bothered. Oh, go on, just have one. One's not going to kill you. And you're like, no, and why <laughs> yeah. are you even forcing it down me? You wouldn't put a cigarette in my mouth, you know? <laughs> exactly. And this is the whole thing, right? But, but we've just, like I was at a dinner party recently and this woman went to pour me a glass of wine and I've never met her before. And I said, oh, no, thanks. I don't drink. And she went, why? Are you an alcoholic? 
And I was just like, oh my God, you've never met me before. But your assumption is that because I'm a middle-aged woman who is out having a fun time with friends, that the only mm. reason I wouldn't drink would be because I, I'm an alcoholic. It can't be, Crazy. oh, I simply don't want to wake up tomorrow feeling like shit or, you know, like all of yeah. those other things that come with it. Just yeah. just on that point, Sarah, when when someone reacts like that, I know in my own mind, it's, there's a, it's like a playing card. I can flip it to one side. I think, oh, my God, do I just go, no, I don't drink. And, and, and yes, I am an alcoholic. And then I get hijacked for the whole evening about people quizzing me about why I don't drink or I just make a humor side out of it. And I'm like, actually, I've seen how much alcohol you've got and you don't have enough, you know, that kind of <laughs> 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 I, I'd yeah. hate to be running to the bottle shop at 10 because you've run out. Like, um, Because <laughs> there is that point where I think, oh, can I be bothered explaining this or do I just yeah. swerve it? How do you feel about that? I'm much the same. I, I very rarely tell people what I do for a job because they immediately yeah. start telling start justifying their drinking to me oh well I don't drink that much I only drink on a Friday <laughs> and I just don't want to talk about that I'm not interested in anyone else's drinking it just doesn't bother me yeah. so usually I do what you do yeah. I make a joke of it I'm like oh there's not enough drink in the world to satisfy how much I want to have yeah. so I'm better off not having any and leaving some for you and I'll just kind of yeah. you know say something like that it's funny yeah. because you know uh, uh, this is mainly direct. This podcast is directed towards hairdressers, barbers, and people in the media industry. So there's two things that are off limits at a dinner party. I never mention I'm a hairdresser because the next thing I know, I'm doing consultations around the yeah. table with, oh, "What would yeah. you do with my hair?" And the other one is, is that, <laughs> oh, oh, you don't drink and you're a hairdresser. And it's like, oh, let's just mm. leave it there. Um, I've read, I read a quote on your website which I think is absolutely beautiful, and I've. Um, I've used it in a previous and I did credit you for it and that is the goal isn't to be sober it's to love yourself so much that you don't need to drink I just think that is such a beautiful quote um, mm. because it's mm. more it's not just about stopping drinking is it it's about you know it's there's so much more to this it's yeah it's, yeah I mean the, the alcohol was always the solution for me it was never it's the, the never solution the for everyone and maybe this is a yeah. good time for me to rewind a little bit and share a little bit with your listeners about why I drank to the level I did and what I've discovered in sobriety and the work that I've done to actually remove the need to drink at that level um because I can tell you for sure when I was drinking I didn't love myself in any way whatsoever and that's mm. what alcohol did for me it 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 gave me confidence and it took away those feelings of sadness, of loneliness, because that's what alcohol does, right? So I started drinking at 14. I grew up in a house where alcohol was very present. Mum and dad had lots of dinner parties. They had lots of friends around all the time. So from a very young age, alcohol to me was fun. That was what adults did to have a good time. I grew up in um, the first formative years were in Scotland. There would be funny men in kilts wandering around my house laughing all the time. And, and that yeah. to me just was like, that's what adults do. So I started drinking at 14. We would fill up soda stream bottles, go down the local park with whatever we've been able to find from our parents' drinks cabinet and, and start drinking. And, and that was like my initiation into alcohol. It was never a question of would I or wouldn't I drink. It was just, and by that point, I'd probably been given, you know, the froth on the top of dad's beer quite a few times from a young age, maybe a small glass of wine at dinner. That was just what was kind of done in my family anyway. My grandmother lived in France. It was very European, you know, to have a, a small glass of wine with dinner from the age of 10 years old or whatever. But from 14 was when I started doing it socially. 
and we would go down the local park, drink as much as we could, and um, get up to all kinds of mischief, and then go home, vomit, and do the whole thing again the following weekend. <laughs> and what I discovered very quickly for me was I'd moved house quite a lot. We'd gone to Scotland, England, Scotland, England, moved around because of my dad's job. So I'd been the new girl a lot. I'd been the one who'd had to fit in, who'd had to kind of make friends, who'd had to work out how do I get people to like me. And the last move was at 13 from Scotland to England. And at this point, I had a very strong Scottish accent. I'd come, gone from a very, quite a rough, comprehensive school to a very posh all-girls grammar school with this terrible perm, spotty skin, a bit overweight, and coming into this school where the girls were so pretty and so sporty and so smart. And I felt so out of my depth. And what alcohol did was it made me feel like I fitted in. So when I was yeah. down the park with these girls and we were drinking, Having another girl say to me, you're my best friend, I love you. That was all I wanted to hear. <laughs> and what yeah. I discovered at a really young age was that alcohol pulled down barriers. I didn't feel like the new girl anymore. It was a way to connect. It was the way to fast forward a friendship. It was the way to fast forward connections so that you felt like you fitted in really quickly. And that kind of continued for me. For many, many years, I went to uni. You know, I was growing up in Manchester, the heavily into the rave scene, going out, doing loads of drugs and recreational drugs. And, and, and that was just our life. Like, that was how we did it. And at no point did it ever occur to me that this was a problem. This was like we were in an yeah. era where the girls were matching the lads pint for pint down the pub. You know, like it was girl power. Yeah. We can do it all. We had all these brilliant female role models that were like getting smashed every weekend with the boys. And so we just took all of that on and went, hell yes, I want some of that. It's the era of sex in the city. You've got Samantha shagging yeah. her way around New York and drinking cocktails. Yeah. And all of us women are going, oh, yeah, girl power. Yay. I want some of this, yeah. right? So after uni, I moved to London. All the same. It was just kind of I went into recruitment where it was work hard, play hard. You would think nothing of getting home at three in the morning, getting up at seven, getting the tube to work, eating bacon sandwiches and drinking coffee all day, and then doing exactly the same thing for three nights yeah. on a row type thing. And honestly, I just thought I was living my best life. Like it wasn't a problem. It yeah. wasn't something that I felt like, I guess I probably drank more than a lot of the girls around me. And I thought that was something to be proud of. Like that wasn't like a negative. That was something that I was like, huh, look at my capacity for alcohol. I can drink the lads under the table. I can go on all nighters and still go to work yeah. the next day. Like it was something to wear as like a badge of honor. The problems for me started, the problems probably, the problems probably started quite a long time before this, but when looking back, when I can notice my drinking changed was um, when we'd moved to Australia. Um, I'd met my husband, we'd got married, had a baby, he's from New Zealand, and we decided to move to Australia. And I completely underestimated how hard life would be to suddenly be on the other side of the world with no family, none of your close yeah. friends, um, I didn't have my career anymore. I'd had a really successful career. I was the director of a recruitment firm. We had weekends in New York, weekends in Saint-Tropez, and I was eating at all the best restaurants in London. And all of a sudden, I was in Perth on the other side of the world, cleaning up baby sick, changing nappies, pureeing cabbage, and just like, well, what, what is my life? What, what, yeah. where, where's my connection? Where's, where's, where have I gone? Like, where am I now? And I got pregnant very quickly with my second. And all of a sudden, I had two under two. 
and and just not really any support around me and I wasn't back working and so I started drinking because what my brain remembered was oh when you drink you feel better when you drink it makes you happy when you drink it makes all those problems go away so I just started drinking at home and I didn't drink like when I was with the kids on my own during the day but I was certainly always looking forward to my husband getting home at five o'clock because that felt like an acceptable time to start drinking. And the problem with alcohol is that we build tolerance to it very quickly. And mm. we also, um, it, it's very addictive. So you're building yeah. tolerance so that, that two glasses doesn't give you the same hit anymore. You need three glasses and then you need four. And you're starting to create these neural pathways that are saying, oh, when I feel this, I have a drink and it makes it go away. So your brain is creating these shortcuts of going, that's my solution to this problem. But yes. But then what happens is we get to the point, going back to what Clive was saying before, we get to the point where we think alcohol is the problem. So we think, yeah. oh, I'm drinking too much. So people yeah. think all I've got to do is remove alcohol and then I won't have a problem anymore. And that's where so many people get it wrong because the reason you were drinking that much is usually for a reason. So we've got to look at what was the reason underneath that before we can actually come up with what the solution might be. Um, And so if we're drinking because of stress, we need to look at that. If we're drinking because of loneliness, we need to look at that. If we're drinking because of boredom, we need to look at that. But most people, it's been building up for such a long time that they just think the problem's alcohol. They don't realise there's something underneath it, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, 100%. And I think it's, it's really common for so many people. And so my drinking now started escalating to me drinking on my own at home quite a lot. And I knew that it was getting problematic. Like I would have nights out with girlfriends and the next day, you know, there'd be group chats where people would be like, oh God, I feel so rough. I'm never going to drink again. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till lunchtime when it's an acceptable time to have a drink because that's how I'm (laughs) going to get rid of the feeling that I've got right now, which is caused by the drink that I had the night before, right? And that's when I knew I was in a different league to them because they couldn't face the thought of another drink and I couldn't wait for my next drink. And that's quite a scary place to be because the mirror is starting to be held up to you, but you really don't want to face it and you really don't want to accept it and so I was in denial for a very long time and then a couple of things happened I had a face planting incident where I fell over at a 40th um I was having a fag I didn't put my um a topple like I went to crouch down to put my cigarette out I toppled forward and because I was pissed I didn't put my hands out and so I landed on my face on a concrete driveway and oh my gosh. cut my lip open, cut my nose, blood everywhere, scrapes and stuff. And my friend took me home and put me to bed. And I woke up the next morning and my five-year-old was stood by the bed and she was looking at me going, mommy, what happened to your face? Oh, and you know that moment out. when you're just like, I just was so mm. disgusted with myself. And yet that night I drank wine through a straw. I couldn't put a lip, a glass to my lips because they were so hurt. Wow. But it was unthinkable to me to think I can't mm. not drink because how am I going to make these feelings go away? That's the only way that I know how to avoid having to sit with these feelings, which are horrible. Yeah, yeah. Sarah, 
I used to suffer terribly with the hangover and I fully get what you're saying like I had to keep drinking especially that next day because the anxiety in my life used to get so crippling like after four or five heavy days of partying I would and I spoke about this in my episode I would lock the front door close the blinds I like utopia for me would have been locked down not to speak to anybody and then I came across a post that you put up recently about GABA. Those of you that don't know what GABA is, it's not just the cricket pitch in Brisbane. But yes. Yeah. And, it, it, <laughs> um, and I, I'd never I'd never heard of it, but it made so much sense to me. Can you just tell us how that what your body goes through? Because the anxiety mm. to me was that's why I had to have another drink. Yeah. And this is the, the myth that so many people think that alcohol is the solution to their anxiety and their stress without realizing that alcohol makes you more stressed and have more anxiety. And the reason is this, when we have a drink, we release a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA is the neurotransmitter responsible for us feeling calm and relaxed. So this is why you get that instant feeling of calm and relaxation after a drink. This is why it works. We're not mm. stupid, right? We, we do yeah. the thing because in the short term, yeah. it works. Yeah. The problem is this. The brain does not like there being such a huge amount of GABA. Our brain is not designed to get these big dumpings of neurotransmitters in this way. It prefers, I call it the difference between a tickle and a punch, right? So we're getting a punch of GABA, whereas the brain is more designed to get a tickle. And so we get this big punch and the brain wants there to be balance. It needs homeostasis. And so in order to achieve that balance, which is now completely out of balance because of the big surge of GABA, the brain releases cortisol. And cortisol is the stress hormone. And this is to bring balance back because we've had too much of one type of neurotransmitter. So the brain releases the opposing one in order to bring balance back. The problem is... Wow, okay. Right. So the GABA, the effect of the alcohol wears off before the effect of the cortisol. So the alcohol wears off. So perhaps the next morning and you've still got excess cortisol circulating around your body, which is why you feel more stressed and anxious the next day. And then you're in this vicious cycle because then you crave the alcohol to get out of the feeling that's been created by the alcohol that you had in the first place. It's nuts. Yeah, it's so wow. That made so much sense to me. And I'm like, I'm four and a half years sober nearly. And I'm like, wow, I never knew that. that that's, it was a physical thing. Um, yeah. No we must be about the same. I was just going to say, Clive, we must be about the same date. What's your date then? Because I'm four and a half years. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm actually jumping ahead of myself. I'm, I am June the 11th, 2019. I think you're oh, April, aren't you? I'm April. Yeah. So we're really yeah. close yeah. to each other. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. I said, I am, a, I have been stalking you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. I've got written down here, alcohol disorder in women has increased over 80% in the past 30 years. Uh, what I've got my thoughts on this. What are yours? So there's a couple, and this is going back to what we talked about with GABA, right? So, as a woman, our progesterone, which is one of our hormones, starts declining from the age of 35 onwards. Hmm. Progesterone works in close correlation with GABA. And so because hmm. our progesterone is declining, so is our GABA, which means that we're naturally starting to feel more stressed and anxious as we're aging. Hmm. It's a wow. shit show for us women, okay. absolutely. Because you know, oh, this, ha- love. If this happens... We've got no in- hope, love. We've no got hope. no hope. <laughs> 
because this usually <laughs> happens for women in the years that you've got teenage kids and we know what a shit show that is we've got aging mm-hmm. parents we're working we're juggling what's happening at home so we've got all of this extra stress and on top of this we've got declining hormones we've got perimenopause so our you know we've got the external circumstances we've got the physical circumstances of our hormones changing and then we've also got an alcohol industry that is directly selling and marketing alcohol to women as the solution Mm. to their stress and their anxiety and it's their reward at the end of the day like there's been research done that shows the exact time that the alcohol industry started to target women and they specifically started doing this with the sole focus being oh we haven't been making enough money from women so let's start to make sure that we're directly targeting women to drink alcohol And so you've got that threefold effect with where we're in a society now that normalizes everyday drinking. You're in any WhatsApp group with a group of mums and you say you've had a shit day and the first thing will be, go home and have a glass of wine, right? We've we've normalized that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. T- yeah me- the memes, the, the the new slogans, like you said, wine o'clock or whatever, like it's so common, you hear it every single day. And we're doing big alcohol's job for them. Like, this is the thing, this is what they want us to be doing, is just constantly going, have a glass of wine, you deserve it. And so we've normalized this everyday drinking. And so alcohol use disorder in women, it's increased 80% in the last 30 years. And I think that's only going to go up. Wow. I mean, it's quite scary, Sarah, really, when you look at it. Um, And I, I... I mean, if you also think about it, Clive, like the last 30 years, um, that was the kind of introduction of mainstream media. So before that, you'd only kind of be advertised to as you passed a shop or if you picked up a newspaper, you know, but ever since mainstream media and then obviously the introduction of social media, forget it. Like it's in your face all the time in your hand. Yeah. flicking through and then oh you got a little wine advert showing you how fun are we having a little glass of wine at a picnic you know so it it that correlates to such a detrimental uh downfall of lots of things but as you said obviously that that increase is huge i didn't know that 80 yeah. percent. that's crazy yeah. even within 50 meters of this studio is a bus stop and i read it this morning and there is an ad, i won't say the brand but it's for a tequila and it says the luxury Mexican tequila. And I'm like, because we all, I mean, my generation relate Mex tequila to slammers, salt, yeah. like, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and yeah. just Cuervo, whatever, yeah. um, as where this is, yeah. this is all like, oh, this is more the, the, the for the more. Upmarket. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which I know mm. that that's the way it is. The, the, talking, I mean, there is the alcohol companies will never fund a, a rehab, will they? I mean, that would just, just be a go beyond them to reinvest into help, maybe helping some people. The good news is, is that there is an increase into um, alcohol free uh, drinks. And there is definitely a shift in the younger generations drinking less. I, I think this definitely. is right. Yeah. I hope it's, I hope it's true. Um, I know, we, my own children, they spent too many years looking at me, and thankfully they've they've decided a bit more. Their choices are a bit wiser than mine, is what I'm trying to say. Um, what do you think is driving the the downturn in in young adults, and how do you feel about the the? I mean, I was in England recently, and you can buy anything alcohol free, Guinness, you name it. It's yeah, there. I know. 
um mm. and it's it's actually really going go to tesco's and there's a whole row there's a whole aisle on alcohol-free drinks and i was like a kid in a candy store yeah mm. yeah it's, it's interesting what are, what are your thoughts on that so it is growing and i think that um i think there's more health awareness out there now about what alcohol does to you and i think that the younger generation they're just more health conscious like would we have ever gone like with our mates to the gym on a friday night like you see some of the young people <laughs> when i go to the gym and if i go on a friday night i'm like what are you doing here you should be out down the pub shagging someone and like having loads of fun what are you doing in the gym and so I, would four, I would have had five pills by now <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly and so the younger generation they're more they're more self-conscious because their life is lived through a lens that ours just wasn't yeah. you know thank god there was no social media when i was back in the day like, oh. i dread to think right oh my god we say this all the time thank god like it's just yeah. horrific i couldn't bear it i think I it just topped me over the edge like. <laughs> I, know. I know exactly exactly so they've got that to contend with they're, they're more health conscious than we are um and i think that drinking is so expensive doing it out in bars and stuff in australia yeah. like this is the problem that i have is in australia we we seem to um encourage bulk buying because if you think about how expensive it is to buy like a four pack of beers compared to buying um, a carton and like my husband has always said that like it's ridiculous that you pay $25 for four or six and then you pay $50 for 24 you're always going to go for the 24 and so you've always yes. got booze at home and so there's more of that culture of doing that at home but less so out just because it's it's so expensive and going back to what you were saying about the alcohol-free drinks I noticed the same I was back in the UK last year and was just like blown away at every bar and restaurant that you seem to go to they'd have alcohol-free options and it's certainly not the case mm. here in Australia but hopefully we can only hope that that starts to change I think it is slowly I just think it's going to take yeah, time because in actual fact um a study I can't remember if it was 21 or 2022 20, one or the other showed that Australia is the biggest binge drinking country in the world which, yeah. wow. which is, I, I was surprised about because I know how much the Brits binge drink, but no, Australia has been named the biggest in the world. Mm. Wow, yeah. that isn't that crazy. So that for binge drinking, yeah. So yeah. part, yeah. Which is yeah, that, I find that surprising. I mean, look, we're in. You know what it's like, Sarah, in in Australia. There's little bubbles of areas, and we're kind of like in this tiny little bubble near Bondi, where everyone's like at the gym and walking yeah. around the beach, health conscious. So you don't necessarily see it quite as much. Um, you know that kind of binge culture. But obviously, you go down Oxford Street, Clive, and then there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, there's a lot of sins being performed behind big doors in Bondi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> you know um, yeah, I mean, we definitely, you can find it anywhere. That's that's, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I remember when yeah. I lived in LA, I remember a bouncer saying to me one day, he pointed up at the Hollywood Hills and he said, that's where, he goes, the bigger the front door, the bigger the sin. He said, "This is that. That's where the real LA happens. Yeah. Um, not not in the mm. clubs that you think that it happens in." Um, Sarah, I heard you say something. I think it was on Sober Dave's podcast. And okay, I'm going to give you the backstory. My, I got sober. My wife stopped drinking ten months after me, and we did our own little sub way of doing sub sobriety, and we feed off each other. But one of the things that we really grieved was we had a good time together when we were drinking. 
and doing whatever. And when we stopped, I heard you talk about when you, you and your husband, you got home, you would have a beer in the back garden and a cheeky fag behind the washing line. That really resonated with me. <laughs> and because of you mentioned like you've got to make time for each other. And because of listening to what you said, my wife and I, when I, my wife and I on a Saturday, when my daughter's at dance, we go for lunch together and ask each other, how has your week been? Because we can be like pots on the stove, bubbling away in doing our own thing. And when we used to drink in the kitchen was when we would connect. Yeah. And when we didn't have that, what are your thoughts? on yeah. that, that to me was like a big moment for me. I was like, wow, I feel I'm not alone here. We, yeah. And we really, we do need to make this time. So what are your thoughts on that? So I've written an entire chapter in my book about this because I know it's one of the areas that the people I work, work with struggle with the most is if you're in a relationship that where it's been based a lot on you both partying so my husband and I were both massive drinkers so after my face planting incident I've made the decision to take a break I took that break I went back to drinking thinking I'd be able to moderate realized moderation was never going to happen for me and April 2019 made that decision to have my last drink June 2019 we ended up in a couples therapy room, just sitting there yeah. going, he doesn't understand me. We don't connect mm. anymore because what it had been was he would get home from work. I'd hear his truck pulling into the drive. I'd get my wine bottle out. He'd get his beer. We'd go sit in the garden. How was your day? Have that chat. Let's go have a cheeky fag while the kids are watching Peppa Pig. And then we'd go back inside. Yeah. We've had a moment to connect. We've we've felt heard and seen and understood for that 10 minutes and then we go back to life. So, of course, when I stopped drinking and then he stopped shortly after, we stopped doing that. And so then it was just, we stopped even speaking to each other. And so it's been a real yeah. roller coaster for us to discover you still have to make sure that you do have make time for each other. Like you said, Clive, about going out and having lunch with your um, with your wife. We've got to make sure. So my husband and I, like we do we're in the summer, um, and and you know, but as soon as long as it's warm enough, we pretty much go for a walk with the dog every night after dinner, and just kind of do a how was the day? What's happening with you? What's ch just even if it's ten minutes, but it's just having time where you feel seen and heard by that other person. Because if you've always had that with alcohol, and then you take the alcohol away, it can leave this big gaping hole where you're just like well what do we even do for fun together now and so we've had yeah. to go and discover all of that because my husband's you know bless him he's a repressed kiwi farm boy he's not very um literate when it comes to emotional talking and and that was he would always do that after a few drinks and so then it was hard to kind of you know get that level of connection and I found for us that walking and talking is, is it works really well you're not sat staring at each other going right what do you want to talk about then like that's just an easy relaxed way for us to chat yeah yeah it's in, it's integrating different I guess physical activity just getting out there um talking of which uh I've seen very often as well on your post that you've found a new love for ice baths right <laughs> And do you know how many people have asked me to go into one of those things? And I'm terrified. I, 
I know that it's got such massive benefits. Um, and I often, cause I've got ADHD. So, um, I'm very aware of like my dopamine levels and I know that that seeking for, you know, drinking and this and doing things was very much about feeding that those levels. Um, and from what I've read and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that, you know, the, the lasting effect of getting into the ice bath, bath lifts your dopamine levels so high that it continues for like hours after after that is that is that correct yeah absolutely up to six hours so but you don't have to do an ice bath I have a rule now um it's funny because I was actually talking about this I've got a private membership group and we were talking about it last night I had a guest speaker come in and talk about the benefits of cold water therapy and they've done so many studies that have just show so much long-term effect of it. But it can st- be just start with turning the shower to cold at the end. Mm. Um, I have a, I, that's my rule now. I cannot end a shower without turning it to cold at the end. And it's yeah. it's hideous. But the yeah. way I feel afterwards, <laughs> your brain gets flooded with dopamine. You feel so yeah. energized. You feel so invigorated that... Um, I'm still feeling the effects from doing it about two hours ago this morning. Um, and so I'm, and it's really interesting. So many people who've had issues with alcohol or drugs or any other kind of addiction find that they respond really well to ice baths because quite often people with addictions, they've got their dopamine pathway gets lit up more than the next person. Mm. So this is why some people yeah. will get lit up like a freaking Christmas tree by a few glasses of wine and other people are like, oh, I've had enough. I want to go home and go to bed. And so okay. I, yeah. you know, I'm someone yeah. that my dopamine pathway got massively hit up by alcohol and, and drugs and everything else. Like just, you know, I've got that kind of personality. And so for me, the ice bath, it, it lights my brain up. And so it's finding yeah. healthy ways. And then the same with exercise. Like if I don't exercise every day, I know that I will not be feeling my best self. And that doesn't mean I'm doing a massively hard workout. And sometimes it's an hour of walking, listening to a podcast, whatever, but I have to move my body because it makes me feel good. And these are the things, you know, when people say to me, how do you create a life where you don't need alcohol, but you have to add Mm. stuff in. You can't just take alcohol out. You have to add in the stuff that makes you feel good. And that means going on a journey of experimentation because what works for me might not work for the next person. Although I don't know anyone that doesn't get benefit from exercise and movement. And so it's, it's just about finding what kind of exercise yeah. and movement works for you. That's, a, that's amazing. I, I've been doing the cold shower thing. I haven't done an ice bath yet, but I've got onto the cold shower things about a year ago, which goes in hand in hand with the ocean swimming. Like I, I do a lot of ocean swimming. Yeah. And I mentally, I struggle, especially when I was in England in the middle of December and the water comes out really cold. I'm like, okay, think of the benefits that happen afterwards. And and it is, it's crazy. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that the cocaine dopamine hit last 20 minutes and the cold water is, as you say, six hours, which yeah. is, which is it's a much cheaper option as well. And much that's cheaper. Better for <laughs> um, exactly. it. Saves, yeah. saves your nasal cavity as well. Yeah, we've got about... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We've got about 10 to 15 minutes left. And I, you mentioned that you've got a, gr- a members group. Now, um, I'm, and I know you do a lot of great stuff. I, su- I saw online you've just done a yoga retreat or something this past weekend. My business partner is going to kill me for saying this. But Kelly, as I mentioned before, is also from Manchester, moved to Perth. She's been following you. She was the one that um, alerted me to you in the beginning. 
she got dressed up to come to one of your events, turned up and got the wrong week and it wasn't wasn't on. And then <laughs> and then and then went home and was like she was all so excited. She went, Oh, it's this group of women and I'm gonna go and hang out with them and I'm super excited because it's my first sober thing. And she got there and it was she got the wrong week, right? And then and then she went back the following week and she said, Clive, she's and I'm trying to do her accent, she went Oh my God! She goes, I couldn't believe it. She goes, I thought it was going to be like me and six other women. She goes, there were over three hundred people in there, and I didn't know anyone. <laughs> so, so this is a major movement you've got going on, and um, she's like, it was amazing. You know, I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. said there were so yeah. many people there, and she said it was like, wow, this is like another world. So, tell us about all that that you do. That sounds amazing. So, once I got sober, and the thing that I realised I was missing the most was connection. Um, because I'd used alcohol as a form of connection for such a long time. And I was leaning on groups in the UK because just this was going back to early 2019. There just wasn't the same, there wasn't the books and the podcasts and everything that there is now. So I was leaning on Facebook groups in the UK with lots of people there. And I was just getting dead jealous of the fact that they had all these meetups and they had real life sober friends. And I didn't have that, particularly in Perth. And I could see that there was some on the East Coast, but not so much over here. So I did two things. I created an online community called the Women's Wellbeing Collective as a Facebook group. And then I created a group called Perth Sober Socials, which was a group for women to come in and be able to connect and share and meet, um, come to meetups and meet like-minded women. And they've just both grown so much. I think there's over 15,000 in the online group now, and there's close to 2,000 in the Perth Sober Socials group. And I just hosted my first weekend retreat, which was a, a weekend of healing and and being able to kind of strip back of all of the the stuff that we deal with to who we are at that deeper authentic self. Because what I find is when people go on this journey of sobriety, they do start doing work on themselves. I think it's really hard mm. not to, because when you can't hide anymore, when you can't hide behind the alcohol yeah. anymore, all your shit comes up and then you've got to deal with it in yeah. some way. Yeah. Right. And so... Yeah. Yeah. 15,000. That's amazing because I know I'm a big fan of Janie Lee Grace. She does the Sober Club in, in the UK as well. And to know that that's going on in Perth, um, I'm actually going to be in Perth uh, on the fifth, between the 15th of the 20th so if you've, of November. If you've got anything happening, then I'd love to come and, and, and attend. Um, yeah, I'd love to see yeah. you. <laughs> my, my eldest daughter lives in Perth. She lives in, um, in North, up North Beach, up in that area. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I come to Perth quite often. Obviously, my business partner's there. But to know all that stuff's going on, I saw your retreat with the yoga and the, the yurts, um, the tent things. Yeah. It looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. It looked so good. Yeah. And that, is, and that is it, isn't it? We say this in every episode, the opposite to any addiction is connection. And if you've got that connection, it's you yeah. don't feel... I mean, I think all of us, we all had those initial fears that we weren't going to be funny, we weren't going to be this, we weren't going to be that you know and we've realized we don't give anything up we get everything back it's it yeah. really is an incredible so thing to do I, I really want to know about your your book tell us all about the book when is it out is it out now no it's, it's available for pre-order now um but it's yeah. available it comes out on the 30th of january so i'll be coming to sydney to do a big book launch party so i hope you will both come absolutely um, which will be at the um alcohol free bar in brookvale um which Fantastic. i'm great. oh yeah 
Sea um, Drift. Yeah, um, amazing. And I, so the reason I wrote this book was because I've been coaching women now for coming up to three years, and I've coached thousands of women, and I have realized that it's not about removing alcohol. The, mm. It's about what do I need to add into my life? How do I create a life I love so I don't even need to drink? And there's a yes. lot of books yeah. out there about how to get sober. There's a lot of books about how do I remove alcohol, but there's not really any books about how do I stay sober? What do I yes. need to change in my life so I don't even want or need alcohol? And so that's yeah. what yeah. I've written a book about. So it talks about friendships and socializing. It talks about your relationships. It talks about, well, what do I do for fun? It talks about yeah. what, how am I managing my stress? And what, what tools can I add in? It looks at what actually is our deeper relationship with alcohol and what do we need to change in our life so that we don't need to end every day pouring a glass of wine. And it's written specifically for the women who are like me, the middle-aged women who are stuck in that trap where alcohol is being sold to us everywhere we turn, but we know it's not working for us anymore, but we don't know what to do and what to change. Like I ran a poll in my group and I said, why do you drink? Or what were the reasons you were drinking? And it was, I got three answers only from 15,000 people. And it was wow. a combination wow. of boredom, stress and loneliness. And it's yeah. like, yeah. why have we got a generation of women who are bored, stressed and lonely that they're drinking themselves to oblivion most nights of the week. And yeah. that's wow. what we need to address. And it's because, right, we get this big fat dopamine hit sitting on our asses watching Netflix, not having to do anything. And so alcohol makes us lazy. And I say that all the time. And so if we're going to remove alcohol, we can't just sit on the sofa and watch Netflix and yeah. expect to feel, get that same dopamine hit. We've actually got to add into our lives. We've got to explore new hobbies. And because we're not drinking, we've got more time, we've got more energy, we've got more mental clarity, and we can start to do that. But alcohol, if we carry on drinking, it keeps us small and it keeps our world small because we just stay stuck in this little box of drinking, regretting drinking, thinking about drinking, anxiety from drinking, drinking again. And it just, and the years pass you by, and then you just look at your life and go, wow, where did that go? Oh, yeah. and, and I think so many yeah. women, especially, get to this point of going I want more but I don't know how to get more yeah, yeah. I mean I yeah. I talk about this all the time and that is that you know I I was a I guess you could call it a functioning alcoholic to a degree like I held down my job and kept a business going but if you think about three days a week where I'm just going out and absolutely smashing myself to pieces um, that's three hangovers and three days of drinking. That's six days out of my week. Uh, it gives me one day, which was usually the day when I would sit and barricade myself and watch Midsummer Murders. Um, but it's like I woke up one day and it was I was 54. And I thought, if you think your life goes fast, try filling it full of cocaine and alcohol and you're, you're losing half a week. And and then you wake up and you go, wow, that, but what what happened there? And... And I was just filling a void. So the t I guess what the point I'm trying to make here is, is that the time you get back, like now I can go ocean swimming at seven o'clock in the morning. I can do a nine o'clock meeting. I can go uh, seven, seven o'clock on a Saturday night. I'll play paddle tennis because yeah. 
but yeah. before I would orchestrate my whole life like I can't be there because I'll, I'll be drinking yeah, then, totally. or I can't be at that meeting because I'll be hungover and so yeah, yeah I know getting it's that, so bad that, isn't it getting, I used to think like I see people like going and doing they'd be like oh you know I go and play squash three times a week and I do it every I do it in the evening after I finish work and I thought how have you got time to do that? I'm straight at home. I'm cooking dinner for the kids. <laughs> Crack. Open goes the bottle. Yeah. Drink, you know. And, you know, since stopping, you know, I've been, my son has also got ADHD. He needs to be doing something. He's very active and he loves coming home from school. His most favorite thing in the whole wide world is going on his bike. So, but now I go on the bike with him and yeah. we, we, we go out and I'm seeing all these people running, you know, doing sports in the field. And I thought, this is what normal people do. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's I crazy. I know. And it's one of the time you get back. You get the time, but it's also one of the biggest gifts is being able to be present for your kids and show up as a parent. Yeah. And a lot of people say to me, but I've got so much guilt about the years that I missed and the yeah. years that I was drinking. And it's like, we can't undo the past. You can't sit and wallow. All we yeah. can do is look at, well, what's the role right. modeling that I'm doing now? And we can role model at any age. We yeah. can role model if our kids yeah. could be 25 when we stop drinking and we can still be an incredible role model to them. And so it doesn't yeah. matter yeah. what age we are, but it's also really important to remember that your kids are watching you all the time. Monkey see, monkey do. And they seem mum or dad come home from work after a hard day and pour open a glass of wine and go oh I needed that what do their little yeah. minds remember their little minds remember oh must have a wine at the end of a hard day that's what helps you feel better and so we've just got to remember as well that mm. everything we do they're picking up or must look yeah. for a partner that has a beer at the end of the day that's what I'm looking for yeah that's yeah similar yeah, exactly. Um, that's nearly taken wow. us up to time. You've been amazing, yeah. Sarah. It's been fabulous chatting to you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and review. Um, Sarah, it's been amazing to meet you uh, online and, and you share your wisdom. Can't wait to read the book. Can't wait. If, it, if there's anything happening in Perth when I'm coming over, well, um, I'd love to meet up. We'll have a cup of tea. Love and, to. Um, <laughs> and then we'll definitely be at your book launch. We'll be, I'll be out there. Yeah, out the front that's exciting. Woo. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Love it.